0: Welcome to another episode of the Dundee podcast. Hi. Hi. I'm Daphna, the co-artistic director.
1: I'm Terry, the other co-artistic director.
0: In today's episode, we're going to talk to some brilliant writers we've had the privilege to work with Mm. over the years.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to look back at how we started working with writers because we used to devise all our work and just um, work with performers and figure stuff out and and then in 2012 we decided to work with a playwright and that really changed how we how we kind of looked at our work and, and the kind of stories we put into it didn't it
0: yeah and i think we've had we've learned so much it was back in 2012 in i do and i remember we started with a an excel spreadsheet with color coding of um, where each character could be at each point
1: Because there were six rooms there were
0: six rooms and 12 characters And they all kind of cued each other. Um, And that became like the springboard for relationships and and characters and and stories to happen. within. And
1: why do you think because why do you think that's different to stage shows where there's
0: I think in stage shows, you don't have to take into consideration the audience's bodies and mm-hmm. how they move in the space. The space itself, mm-hmm. that also tells a story. And the logistics of the performers moving around in back corridors and in between rooms. So I think what what we've learned is how to kind of tailor all these together and not create necessarily an immersive show that uh, the audience is free to roam around and make their own story. We It was really important to us to make a cohesive story that we know what is told to the audience but that involves a lot of um
1: logistics logistics. the writer has to kind of write into their script loads of the things from that real space um and make that work
0: that's why i'd love to hear from them a little bit about what it's like to collaborate with a site-specific company Mm. that uh, have initiated a concept and and writing into that format that may already be existing.
1: Mm. So the first person we're going to chat to is Andrew Muir.
2: I'm passionate about theatre. I am absolutely passionate. Theatre and Manchester United pretty much are the two (laughs) Um, things that uh, if you cut me up in my blood you'd see that sort of stuff.
1: So we asked Andrew uh, about what he remembered, what his initial thoughts were when we met him in a leisure centre in Dorking at an aquaerobics class. Oh,
0: I remember his face that day.
1: Did you do the aqua aerobics class?
0: I, th- I did. I'm not sure if he did. You did it? Oh, well, actually, I'm not sure we did. No, we didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It, wasn't, it was the trampoline class that I did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> With the mums, yeah, that was good. <laughs> I thought to myself, um, I have absolutely no idea what i'm going to be able to write or think about in terms of a story around a leisure center i was terrified um (laughs) and um that's kind of what i remember i think that was the overriding i couldn't really focus on anything other than chaos in a pool and just a lot of noise in a kind of center and thinking how on earth is anything going to come out of this
1: well, that's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs>
2: Pleasure. <laughs> so Take On Me was quite a
1: beast of a project, maybe we could describe it as.
2: It was a beast of a play in that, because those, those buildings were so kind of um, big and they needed to be filled and there were lots of kind of areas within that building. But I remember initially thinking, I, I can't quite work out how on earth we're going to connect those areas and make some sort of kind of story out of them. And then when you were talking to me about um, kind of community and getting community involved and uh, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to get out of control and it's kind of too many people and it's too noisy and how are we ever going to, kind of, you know, I think I was being, um, I don't think you said any of those things to us.
0: No, you didn't. Actually.
2: Yeah, I kept it all <laughs> family inside, my, my fear. But then I was thinking, this is going to be huge. And it turned out that it was absolutely massive. Ah, (laughs) The journey at times, was absolutely mad because there were some legends, I remember, there were, like, stairs involved or there was, like, you had to go up this way, that way, this way, that way. And I always thought, um, how do we keep them engaged? And if I'm honest, that was the the biggest thing for me. And it, it's still, to this day, is the biggest thing for me. Mm. And it's mm. the biggest thing when I think around writing site-specific theatre is that... How do you keep an audience engaged when the scene drops and you're being mm. asked to travel from one to the next? Mm. How do you Because, you know, it's it's only natural. In fact, when you know, even when I was there and I was there a lot and you'd end up like whispering to the person next to you or something like that, you know. And so you'd kind of you drop out of the story. Mm-hmm. And I felt what we did with Take On Me is to unders it really was quite lovely, to underscoring those transitions did, I think, go some way to help maintaining engagement from one scene to the other.
1: Yeah, I think we learned on the way as well, didn't we? Like yeah. as we went, we yeah. found, Oh, this character can actually just pop up on the way. That's right. And walk past the Or you be saw, sitting in the corner and exactly. the audience walk past them and go, Oh, that's a really nice little detail. And yeah. yeah. we found different ways of doing that the longer yeah. we, we ran it for. You us.
2: saw them run past at times, didn't you, in things, and then you'd see the audience go, Oh what well, there they are, I wonder whether But that there were some times where you couldn't get the audience to line up. There was no room. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it was just physically it was very difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Because you were you were bound to break out of the focus and of the concentration on the story, because you're being asked to kind of shuffle up in a certain way, Um, and I suppose that was one of the things for me. I had to get, I was quite precious to begin with, if I'm honest. Mm. Oh,
0: can you talk a bit more about that? That's interesting. Precious about what? Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's like precious,
2: precious about the art. What are the
0: things you had to let go of? One of the the things I had to let go
2: was that focus. Mm. Was that constant sat in a darkened auditorium, you know, focusing on the story being played out for 90 minutes, whatever, without really any distractions. I mean, obviously, it could be a rubbish play and be bored and all the rest of it. And that's fair enough. But at least you're staying in one place Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like focused on this kind of story being played out. Whereas with Take On Me, there are so many distractions and i remember i don't know whether you remember guys but i i got really upset once it was during a rehearsal and i couldn't hear the words because do you remember we did we weren't i mean we didn't have the funding for it. we couldn't just stop people from being in the leisure center mm-hmm. so we were having to kind of work around everyday people just coming in doing their classes being in the gymnasium and i couldn't hear the words now and I was like Andrew just calm down stay calm don't be precious just allow this this is what it is this is organic and it's going to evolve and you know <laughs> I was I was really getting so wound up by it and then I think what you did Daphne, is you called a two-day rehearsal it's central or something mm-hmm. like that where Finally, we went into this <laughs> rehearsal room and there was peace around the words and I could finally hear my words. And I was thinking to myself, God, you are so precious. Just let it go, you know. Um, but at the same time, it was nice to hear it because then like, you could hear what was wrong or you could hear, you know, stuff that maybe needed to be changed, etc., etc. So I remember that, um, and that is something that I will always take away from, from that experience. And I, I, I promise you now, both of you, I'm a lot less <laughs> precious about my words.
0: Speaking to Andrew really reminded us why it's so important to be in a space when you're creating a piece, mm. because it really provokes all your senses. Like being in a really hot, humid, loud leisure centre pool really changes what you think of a space and we
1: always play with that don't we so like you know i do i remember each room had its own temperature like the grandparents room was always quite hot um oh, and i remember there was uh like the, the physical things in the room that kind of feed into the emotional state of characters like the the mum of the bride she puts a cold hair dryer up her skirt my i remember talking to my aunt after the show and she was like I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> it put her right back into this really stressful situation she'd been in. So, like those physical experiences are really fun.
0: So I think what happened then is that we had we had the buildings. We, yeah. had, we knew that when we when we came together to work on this, we yeah. had uh, six different leisure centres on board and seven, I think seven. seven yeah. yeah. Um, and we did some visits together. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like I remember. the day we yeah. went to, to the pool, the pool yes. in Dorking, or. Um, Remember, we, we just had chats with people who use we the did. leisure centre, whether they go to dance classes or the gym, and we, we did like call-outs for people I to come remember. and speak yeah. with us. Yeah. I think we got a lot of stories there. I think from those uh, stories, we realised... Like the community coming together in a space like that is really something we want to put at the heart of. What, I agree, of and what I think that's is. how we
2: found that Lisa character, mm-hmm. or at least I remember. Um, and they were all coming in for like coffee mornings and things. They would mm. be using that space, that co- that cafe, to come in and, and drink and um, chat and talk and laugh and all the rest of it. And so it made sense that this uh, this female character was, for the first time in a while trying to engage or re-engage with some sort of community. Um, and it made sense. And I remember, because I, I we when I was growing up, we had a leisure centre very similar to the ones we were looking at for the play. And um, we, my brother and I, we used it all the time. I used it, you know, always football, swimming, everything. And there were certain things, it, it just, there's a smell to them. Mm. were. I just remember so vividly and the kind of um, the machines, the drinks machines, the dispenser, all that sort of stuff and the reception and all the people that work there and there's, there was something I really connected with those buildings and it really reminded me of growing up and so that was me as a teenager and then looking around when we were there you could see so many different ages all taking advantage, all using it um, and it, it was... It was just, it was brilliant. I remember. It was it reminded awesome. me of a different kind of, like a negative vibe. Right. Like, growing
1: up as a gay Irish boy who was not very good at sports, <laughs> like I used to hate going to changing rooms sure. and getting changed in front of the other boys, yeah. and it really reminded brought a lot of those things back to me. Yeah. Um. And that kind of those gender, um, biases. The you know, female, the male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The football, the swimming, like all those things brought yeah. up so many of those kind of memories yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah. I think ended up in the show in a way. Yeah um definitely with that character yeah
3: we do my husband and i we used to do it everywhere and at any time nowadays he prefers it on the top (laughs) well whether he prefers it or whether it's just easier because of his lower back pain i'm not sure i still enjoy it watching his face staring into his eyes He still keeps his eyes open, which is one of the reasons why I love him. One of the reasons. There are many others, but that
2: one. There's something about Take On Me and about that particular project that always felt like it could be changed again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Something else could happen to it. it. It was so kind of organic and... I don't want to say it didn't feel finished. It did. It was a product and it worked for me. I, I, I found it really moving and funny, et cetera. But there was there's something kind of, not that we will be taking it out again, but I'm saying it is. It's there's an openness to it and a freshness that I think, uh, in terms of what you were asking me about, kind of constantly changing, I think it would still constantly mm. change. It's got that feel about it. Um, and I I do wonder whether even, you know, whatever building you go into, a a building, again, might have a say on Mm -hmm. certain things and certain aspects to the storytelling.
0: When we finally did it in front of an audience, was there anything that really surprised you or you didn't expect?
2: Um, I didn't expect it... I didn't expect it to make sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, (laughs) great. If I could, like, sum up that whole experience... It is community and spirit and heart. And I think they're the things I would always take away from this project.
1: And then there was Skin On Go, which was a bit of a departure for us, wasn't it?
0: It was, yes. Um, It was in the middle of the pandemic and we were really frustrated because we were in isolation for, I think, four Mm. months at that point. And I remember sending you that picture of a Brazilian care home, saying, "Terry, look at that. There is a there is a piece in that. We should make a show about that." Yeah, it was and just these two
1: people hugging
0: through a plastic sheet. Hmm. Um, and that was the springboard for the show.
1: Yeah, and I'd actually always wanted to make a one-on-one performance of some kind, but it was always impossibly expensive. It doesn't work.
0: But at this point, it was it was perfect because we were only allowed to have audiences of six or groups of six coming together at one time.
1: Yeah, and we thought, actually, this is the thing we've all been lacking is this intimacy. And um, we came up with a concept for three separate stories, all about touch.
3: What's happening? Your hands don't want me like they used to. Are we falling apart? hands are touching like they once did. My heart, <laughs> I miss your hands, my hands, our hands together. Mm. My heart, <laughs> i never forget that night when I woke in bed, you're on the other side, back to back, hands under pillow and nowhere near mine, your body is stiff as is mine, sleeping but both awake, silent. But both awake. And so I whisper. Eight. E. <laughs> K. I went back. And you reply, No. You say No. <laughs> you say I don't love you anymore.
1: Nah, I don't really love you anymore. I felt a bit like oh some sort of guerrilla theatre because everything was closed and it felt just about possible to create this kind of peaceful haven to create this moment of intimacy through plastic.
0: And we wanted to work with new voices, new creatives, new writers. We reached out to three really interesting writers and asked them to collaborate with us. One of them was Sonia Hughes, who was in her attic in West Yorkshire when we chatted to her. (laughs) You and
1: and Daphna had a chat on the phone? We
0: had a chat on Zoom. On Zoom. And I really remember that. I really remember that conversation. I was wondering what you remember from
4: that first meeting. We've never met in person. No. Mainly I remember you were sitting on your rooftop. uh, And uh, yeah, and maybe it started to rain or threatened to rain at some time. And I talked about, um, I was interested at that time in, Uh, solitary confinement and about a man who used to make his arm numb by pressing it against the wall so that when he touched his arm with his other hand it felt like somebody else touching him and I was that was what I was immediately thought of when you talked about it
1: so every project involves creative constraints and for skin hunger there were loads
4: for me it was really clear that
0: you should be one of the three writers on the project and when we welcomed you in, there was quite a lot of restrictions to, like, to the brief of what you had to write. Well,
4: it was time it was definitely a one thing, and that they were all going to be going on at the same time. There was plastic, uh, plastic sheeting between the people, just one person, one performer, one on one. Mm-hmm. That's the main, the main thing. And actually, you didn't really want it to be about covid as such not really just the just the ideas around skin hunger the desire to be touched and needing to be touched and things like that so
0: and how was that process for you to work with already from the get-go that many restrictions i know you, you usually make your own work and i guess you make the restrictions
4: yeah i i like restrictions i think um I like restrictions that I like <laughs> I don't like restrictions that I don't like I like restrictions that I like I like short things that i'm i like that it's one voice because I'm absolutely terrible at making up things for more than one voice I'm pretty good at monologues and not very good at dialogue and um, Is that why your monologue had three voices in it it did have three voices in it but it, they didn't they weren't necessarily talking to each other <laughs> they weren't talking to each other so um yeah so i, I i've I like that. And I like the, the shortness of the span of time. And yeah, I, uh, those things actually are good for me. If you said you can do anything you like and it can be as big as you like and many people as you like. And I, I just, I would just go, okay, I'm not, I, no, thanks. Bye. <laughs> no.
1: Another new element of skin and girl for us was using personal experience. Like we've often used personal experiences to springboard and to inspire stories, but this was a bit different
0: and Sonia was so generous with how she brought her story into the piece. Uh, it was happening as she was writing it, so it was almost like a documentary.
1: So how how did you like put us into your mind or into your attic, wherever you were? Like, how did you approach the task itself? Like, what did you do to figure out how to start writing or to come up with a concept?
4: I mean, well, it was very real because at the time my my dad was living with me, and um, he has he had dementia and it was very tricky looking after him yeah tricky um complicated with lots of love but also things that were going on were beginning to arouse ideas of disgust around for me but also he was losing the knowledge of disgust because the learned thing disgust and so, touch was tricky, and I knew that I probably what I needed to do was to to hold him more and touch him more. But found it less and less like I wanted to do that. So there was something that was happening in real time that was happening in my house, and I and I think I always use writing or making it art to understand something, to to know something about something not not I can't that's why I'm not really good at writing fiction because I need to know I'm kind of what's going on in my life now what do I need to figure out what do I need to look at and explore and examine in detail in order to understand what's going on so that it kind of was an opportunity for me to look at this relationship that I wanted to be better it had been beautiful before and was beginning to get tricky because maybe we were I don't know we were about 10 months into the pandemic when you approached me. So it was becoming tricky. Um Yeah. So that was finding out something that I needed to find out about me and my dad. That's That's kind of, that's the beginning. And then just writing down things that happened. Just, I think I'd even started doing that beforehand, just writing down the, the half conversations, the conversations and noticing the repetitions of what went round and round for him and for me. And, uh, yeah, that was, that
1: was. You wrote this piece, which has, it has you in it. It has your dad in it. And it also has the performer in it. Um, and we were just about to rehearsed that and put it on then we had to stop because it was another lockdown and then we postponed for six months um and Anne's piece and tim's piece stayed the same but yours changed are you comfortable chatting about that
4: yeah yeah it's fine well it when i when we sort of said okay the, the first date i sent it to you but i still thought mm, but that's not right so in my head i was thinking that's not that's not uh I can't remember what it was that I didn't like about it but it's something that did it was wasn't quite right so I thought I'm going to work on it anyway and then unfortunately my dad died in that time of between in the gap between the and I thought well you know <laughs> that's uh that is an ending that is an ending that is that that's what happened and also, in the last few weeks and months of his life, then I'd kind of got much more used to doing the physical stuff with him, not just the care physical stuff but the love physical stuff and then of course, when he was dying, I mean that is what happened when he died i you know I was very much holding his hand as as much as I could, um stroking him making him know that i was present um so all of that was real and um and to do with what we were, you know what what you were talking about the things that you were thinking about so um yeah i mean i haven't i haven't read it since and i didn't i never saw the show <laughs> so well, cuz i thought i don't i don't know if i want to read it or see it again but um Uh, and it wasn't terrible working on it. It wasn't like it was heartbreaking or anything working. It was somehow I could just look at it quite, you know, coldly or something. I suppose that's the writer in me that you have a bit of a chip of ice or whatever in your heart. So you can go, Hmm, someone's died. That's good. Let's get that in. (laughs) You know, Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, I think, I mean, I'd, he would have died. At, well, everyone's going to die at some point, but obviously, but there was something. Uh, it was, I don't know. I couldn't have written that. I couldn't have made that scene up. Had you, you know, if he's still alive, I wouldn't have made that scene up. Not for superstition or anything, but just because I just wouldn't have known what it was going to be like. So basically, she's holding his hand. You can go now. You can go now. There's nothing more for you to do, Dad. Nothing more for you to do, Dad. I love you. I love you. I love you, darling,
2: Dad. I love you, darling, Dad.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with us, um, Sonia. It's always a joy to chat with you. One day we'll meet in person.
4: Yeah, can't wait yeah. to meet you in person. Some <laughs> really out-of-the-way place that we never expected. Oh, what are you doing here in Tulsa? <laughs> <laughs> See you in Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> See you in Tulsa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> should be the name of the podcast.
0: <laughs> Skin Hunger also gave us the opportunity to work with somebody we really wanted to work with.
1: I know, the amazing writer, director, performer
0: tim crouch it was just the right moment right the mm. pandemic brought it all together
5: look it was the lockdown mm-hmm. <laughs> it <laughs> it was. all bets were off <laughs> all traditional rules were suspended um yeah i mean i i'm i, I do remember being excited by the proposal i suppose uh, i remember you sending me a photograph Daphne, of the Brazilian care home, Mm -hmm. which I'd already seen somewhere. So it felt like the universe was talking about that. Um, And the absence of human contact, I suppose, got me. um, Not necessarily touching, but just being in proximity with other people, which at that time was not allowed unless you were a conservative MP. (laughs) That's true. With my work, I, I write the space, I always try and write the space, not just the words, and I also write the encounter, I suppose, in all the theatre, in the more traditional theatre, not the one-on-one, but you know, the encounter between a performer and a, an audience, or a stage and an audience, uh, there is always something of the narrative of that encounter in the work that I write anyway. Uh, so I was interested I think in the thought that we were possibly trying to come back to a place but a place that was dramatically different um, so yeah a, an audience reconnecting with a performer I suppose mm-hmm. uh, through a prophylactic <laughs> through a, a sheet of plastic so not not freely and not openly but a tentative delicate, Stepping towards each other, I suppose, N- not fulsome because it couldn't be fulsome so so that was the kind of take on the piece that I wrote, which was an idea of a performer, yeah, making redresses to their audience, I suppose. Are uh, asking to some degree for forgiveness, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and the the enjoyment for that was to play the 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 duality of both just a relationship playing out between two people, and also a sort of metaphorical landscape of of an audience. Yeah, an audience deciding whether to reconnect with live art again. I suppose on that level.
1: Interestingly, I guess what you're saying about that one-on-one nature of Skin Hunger. And I remember you actually said when when I think I talked to you about the concept, you said, oh, it feels like it'll be a little sanctuary to come off Shaftesbury Avenue, go into this like space and just have this, these moments that nobody else could see. Like Daphne was directing the show, but she couldn't actually ever see the show that everyone else was seeing because it was different for every single person. Um, and when I was performing the sessions, like one woman left after three minutes. She walked away from me. And then she came back a minute later because I think she had nowhere else to go. Um, but she just said, you were talking like my ex and I, I couldn't stand uh. here and just let you talk to me like he used to talk to me. And then we ended up having a chat for seven minutes about relationships. Great. And it was fascinating because as a performer, I was like, oh, what do I do? And OK, she's walked away from me. OK, I'm just going to sit here. And then and then we had this genuine human exchange about this and somebody else like really broke down crying i was holding him holding him holding him that's um, the other
5: fundamental is to keep that liveness isn't it and to mm. be prepared for everything to stop and to everything start again but on different terms because if you try and reproduce and reproduce which a lot of mainstream theater does to try and get the same product at the same pitch every single night or every single performance then then you can't accommodate that liveness mm. uh, and the possibility of everything of of the of the whole story shifting.
1: Mm. As a writer, is that scary? Is it exciting? Is it
5: only exciting? Mm. I, I think because I was an actor uh, in a traditional sense of the word. You know, I went to drama school and then for a period of time, not long, I was waiting for the phone to ring and mm. was put in. You know, and, and performed in plays and remember being scared out of my wits in those plays, you know, shaking and nervous beforehand because I knew I had to uh, hit a moment or hit a pitch or enter at a certain place. And I think now I, I don't have those fears. I think I'm trying to write work that is much more uh, uh, inclusive of, of the people in the room. Uh, there's always a gentle opening to my work, so there's never any request to hit a mark uh, or that tension or that pressure to be so extreme. Uh, and also, I yeah, I I think I write into the work uh, uh, the possibility of it breaking every time. So, for example, a play of mine like an oak tree that has a different actor in it every time. There's an actor who's never seen the play or read the play or rehearsed the play, and I kind of hope that I know they will they will screw it up. Uh, they will mm-hmm. always screw it up, but they will always screw it up differently and incredibly interestingly perfection is really boring <laughs> you know so if you understand that, that there isn't a you know, art is not a, it's not an attainable thing it's a process it's not a product so the process is the most exciting thing for me mm. and that means it can't be fixed because it's always in flux I suppose.
0: After skin hunger we invited Tim to write odds on with us and he said no. He did say no <laughs> but you know Terry sometimes the no's can teach us more than the yes's
1: you sound like a Sesame Street character. Oh,
0: that's the best compliment I could ever get. <laughs> you really thought about it. You took yeah. your time to think about it, and you th- you said no, I, I can't find my voice. Yeah. In this, but you should write it, and you you kind of. I mean, I don't know if you know, but it really it really pushed us, yeah. and we're really grateful that you pushed us. Um. So I guess why did you say no? Is my first
5: question. Yeah. I, I remember. I even now, I have a very strong, rather virulent response to online gambling and does my head in. On the rare occasions that I watch television that has adverts, I cannot believe how many of those adverts are around uh, gambling and betting. Uh, and I remember when you first spoke about it, it was like, oh my goodness, yeah, that's, this really gets me. It's a subject that really gets me. And I think maybe there's a... Uh, yeah I have a very strong feeling about it, and maybe that's not necessarily the right way into writing a piece, you know, because it would just be polemical on my on mm-hmm. my part. Mm-hmm. And then the invitation for you to write, well, that felt really genuine because and I feel that quite often that and I feel it because it's born out of my own experience because of the first 30 something years of my life, I would never have deemed myself to be a writer, okay? And so, because I uh, didn't think I was a writer and didn't... I thought writers were a special breed apart that wrote from an early age and had visitations and could Hmm. fill pages, like, you know, without thinking. And I couldn't do any of that stuff. I can write one sentence in a day with lots of thinking. So that's not really... But it is a writer. So anyway, when I said I don't think I could respond uh, equitably to the subject and the invitation for you to write it. it, was born out of a number of processes that I've been in with people, where the danger is if you bring collaborators in for you two, you felt very strongly. The danger is that you bring somebody else in. The project no longer is yours, it's somebody else's. And it felt like this was very much your project. And that if you brought a writer in, quite a strong-minded writer, then you would be serving that writer. And, and, And that's complicated. Complicated on the basis that I think everyone can write, you know. I think everyone can, not write like, you know, like a mad genius can write, but can write to make the things they want to see can manufacture the situation, the context, the narrative, the journey, uh, the form, and all that sort of stuff. And you were so much more closer to that stuff than I was. There would have been a long process of us trying to understand mm-hmm. a shared language around it, and you already had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say there are, there are many other situations where I've felt similarly, but I have never said anything. So it felt like a bit of a sort of active reviewer on my part to say, I think you should do it. Because uh, really who, who the hell am I to say that? <laughs> no, but it was
0: really meaningful for us. And you, you said, um, I went through our emails about it before recording this. And you said, oh, definitely, writing is just an extension of thinking. And I thought to myself, he's probably right. Well, let's give it a go. And, uh, yeah, it's, it really changed um, our approach to it. You're right. Yeah. There, is, there is a question around authorship uh, especially with a lot of our work with with site specific work, and it's something we're trying to interrogate with with these conversations about kind of if if it's developed in collaboration, who owns it in a way? Yeah. And especially for site specific work, I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, and we approached, I guess, when we came to write it in the end with you as a dramaturg. Um, I feel and maybe I'm completely wrong, I feel like we approached it as site-specific theatre makers, like looking at this game as the site. I wondered what your thoughts were on no, that, that, if, that, that felt if you agree. that
5: felt completely right to do that, because the form was determining what you wrote, and my God, the challenge of the form is the thing that kind of impressed me most, I think, around the, the piece that you made, because you were not only just telling a story, but you were Finding different ways of telling that story. You were working in a medium that you weren't ex- used to mm-hmm. uh, and trying to find an interactivity in that medium, <laughs> which is in its infancy to some degree, and also write uh, a piece that was not, you know, propaganda as mm. such, um, that honored the character in the story, which I thought it did beautifully. There wasn't a simple answer to it. Um, yeah, yeah. It, the the, the distinction between writing and directing, I suppose, is that with a writer, you start with nothing. But it didn't feel like you had nothing to start with. You had lots of stuff. You had lots of stuff. Like, you know, this is the technology. Oh, my God. So you think about that technology. Well, it immediately closes down paths. You can go, well, I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. So you begin to go, well, I can do that. So if I can do that, it's that process of restriction that we talked about. You know, process of restriction is an incredibly liberating thing because it prevents you from being over swamped by choice so yeah the form i think really helped your writing process in that respect mm. it always does maybe in every respect
1: huge thanks to sonia andrew and tim for being part of this episode
0: that's that for now if you want to know more about our work Head to our website, danteordai.com. It's all there.
1: And if you have any questions for us, uh, we'd love to hear from you at Danteordie, hashtag DOD podcast.
0: Thank you to our producers, Marie Horner and Erica McCoy.
1: And to Yannine Fridell for his brilliant music. Huge thank you to our Dante team, Lucy, Sophie, Caitlin, Catherine. You've been amazing.
0: The podcast was recorded at Phoenix Court and Soho Sonic Studios.
1: And it's been funded by Arts Council England. So thank you.